Heidi here. So I always talk about balance and part of wellness is finding balance in nutrition, making life healthy and sweet and sharing the moments with our families. Jamie here. So imagine our utter joy this month when we join forces with one of our all-time favorite healthy low-sugar dessert brands, Enlightened, as a partner for today's show. At Enlightened, they believe in choosing to fill life with joy. And what could be more joyful than all of your ice cream aisle favorites served up full of flavor and made with nutrition you can feel great about? Eating healthy shouldn't be a compromise. It should be a celebration. They've got something for everyone. Jamie and I love their dairy-free line, and Megan's family loves the gluten-free line since Meg's has celiac disease. Yeah, my family was also obsessed with their fruit infusions bars. The mango flavor gave me sweet and sassy vibes all at once, kind of like me. Oh, and as the weather gets colder, it's definitely hardcore cookie baking season. So my kiddos are psyched to try their brand new ready-to-bake cookies that have zero added sugar and bake in under 15 minutes. Basically, Enlightened has something for everyone. Gluten-free, keto-friendly, low-sugar, dairy-free. Yeah, I mean, they have light ice cream bites, keto ice cream pints, those new ready-to-bake cookies, mini cheesecakes, edible dough bites, those fruit infusions bars, and more. Enlightened is impossibly indulgent. It tastes like regular dessert, but just happens not to have all that extra sugar. Find out more about Enlightened and where to find them in your local grocery store by visiting eatenlightened.com slash OTG. And don't forget to use the code OTG10 to get 10% off your order and free shipping. And so these are really emotional and private decisions that I think that people should be making on their own and not under any influence of laws or government who aren't responsible for raising these children and aren't responsible for providing the resources that these kids need. Welcome back to season two of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life channel your inner girl boss and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, Heidi. Hey, Jane. (laughs) So Meg sadly couldn't be with us for this episode. Heidi here. We wanted to kick this one off with a little history lesson to lay the groundwork for today's episode. So In 1969, a Texas woman who would be called Jane Roe in court documents became pregnant and wanted an abortion. At the time, it was illegal unless the mother's life was at risk. And Roe sued the Dallas County DA, Henry Wade. This landmark case made it all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, where they rolled seven to two in 1973 that the constitutional right to privacy protects a woman's right to have an abortion. Sadly for women's rights in the United States, the ruling left a lot of the specifics up to each state. Jamie here. There have been many cases about abortion since, but none threatened the Roe v. Wade ruling until former President Trump stacked the Supreme Court with conservatives who are more likely to overturn it. In 2021 alone, more than 561 abortion restrictions were introduced across the country. Over 97 have been enacted at the time of this recording. Women across our country 
especially those like me who binged Handmaid's Tale over quarantine, felt like they were stepping into those deep crimson robes of the show or the book as Texas passed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. Much like the dystopian horror story, Texas gave and incentivized private citizens the right to enforce the ban. Now, Texas citizens can be rewarded a minimum of $10,000 for calling out an abortion lawbreaker or anyone who aided in the process. That could be the Uber driver. Texas's new law bans abortions as soon as a fetal heart rate is detected, as early as six weeks, long before anyone not actively trying to get pregnant might even know they are pregnant, with zero exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Outcries and outrage came from women everywhere, calling this a full-scale assault on women and unconstitutional. SCOTUS did not block it. For clarity and perspective, in Texas, the state can mandate that a 12-year-old girl carry the pregnancy forced upon her by a rapist to term, endure the pains and complications of pregnancy and delivery, not even getting into motherhood or the trauma associated with all of this. But the state cannot mandate that that same girl wear a mask at school because that is too great a burden for the state to impose. Thankfully, on October 6th, a federal judge granted the Justice Department's request to halt enforcement of this recently passed Texas abortion ban for now. And that's changing day by day. On the date of this recording, October 15th, a federal court actually overruled this. So now the Department of Justice is taking it back to the Supreme Court who wouldn't hear it before. So I'm sure that by the time the recording is out, that more information will come to light. So to lend some medical expertise and knowledge, we invited back the amazing Dr. Camilla Phillips, board-certified OBGYN, lactation consultant, wife, mother of three, and lifelong women's health advocate and educator. Dr. Phillips is the founder of Cala Women's Health and holds educating women and girls about their bodies as the core practice care philosophy. Her areas of specialty include healthcare disparities, lactation, and sexual and menopause medicine. We are so excited to bring back this mom boss doctor who has a wellspring of knowledge regarding reproductive rights. So as we always do, we'd like to set up the show with why you should listen and if it will resonate with you. Although we imagine that it will. So listen to this show if you want to know more about reproductive rights and how they are changing in the U.S. You don't fully understand when an embryo gains more rights than a woman or you'd like actionable items to take and stop Handmaid's Tale from becoming a reality. So I'm going to move on quickly because just to lighten the mood for a moment, we do have a Sweat This segment today. And as you may remember, Sweat This is our segment where we talk about a product or a service that we are sweating that week and is making our life better. And since today's episode really has to do with health, I've got a good one. And I wanted to talk about a new fave of mine. All right, Heidi. So antioxidants. 
we're both like wellness geeks, right? And that's obviously a huge buzzword. We hear the word a lot, but if we're being totally honest and Heidi, you can be honest. Do most of us know like exactly what it means, like and what they do and why I we should use them? I personally had it spelled out for me by a supplement maker, so I got like an amazing well, educational thing on it. But I didn't before then, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, and you see, that's the thing for me too. And I think this is what maybe a lot of people don't know about you know being an influencer is that quite often when we work with brands, we get an informational session or a master class with sometimes their, you know, nutritionist or their health representative. And that is really a benefit of what we do. So we don't go into these things uneducated. We always know what we're talking about when we're representing anything in the supplement or medical or health space. So I really didn't know either until just a couple of years back when I was invited to an antioxidant master class put on by Cetria Glutathione. Okay. So what the heck is that? It is what we are devoting today's Sweat This segment to. So let me first explain a little bit about what glutathione is. Okay, so glutathione is recognized as the great protector. It is the body's master antioxidant. It's actually naturally produced by the body. So without glutathione, our cells would become ravaged by free radicals and disintegrate. So a lack of glutathione would also negatively affect the liver and immune system. By fighting these free radicals, glutathione supports the liver so it can carry out its job of, oh, you know, detoxifying the body, things like that. But it also, you know, by preventing the free radical damage, it also just helps promote a healthy immune system, which is obviously top of mind for everyone. So Heidi, I have a little quiz for you <laughs> since we both kind of halfway claim to know about antioxidants and glutathione. I thought I would ask you some fun questions. So Heidi, quiz time. Are you ready? I guess so. Let's I test, hate quizzes. <laughs> let's test your antioxidant knowledge. Okay. So this is the first question up, Heidi. Do you think the body's natural glutathione level is lower in the morning or at night? Okay. So... Because I know that eating <laughs> foods, specific foods actually help boost it, I would have to say that it's lower in the morning. Ding, ding, ding. That was a good guess. Well, it, it was an informed. I'll, I'll it give it a guess. It was a guess. It was okay. So yes, it is lowest in the morning. And this is also why it matters when we take our supplements and knowing when they're going to work in our bodies best. I see people all the time that just take a handful of like 25 pills and they wash it down with their coffee in the morning. And they're like, great. I took my supplements. I'm like, you could probably take those better, but you know, that's at least they're getting in there. Okay. So here's another young, healthy people. I'd like to consider myself one, but let's be real, okay? Young, healthy people tend to have enough glutathione. However, glutathione levels start to decline at what age? Okay, well, because of how you preface that with mm -hmm. laughing and saying I would like to consider myself one, I'm going to have to say that somewhere in the 40s. You ding, ding, ding. So whereas yeah. By the way, I may have thought 30s until you posed the question that way. <laughs> right. So it is around age 45, which, you know, I may or may not be creeping towards. So good to know. And we do need to know when these things start to go away and when you need to start supplementation, right? Okay. Heidi, one more for you, Miss Green Goddess Yoga Teacher. Hint, hint. Oh. What, <laughs> what else can cause free radicals to ramp up in your body? Okay. So I think about this because for me, 
it's easy to think about inflammation because free radicals cause inflammation. So I would guess that anything that causes inflammation would cause free radicals to ramp up in the bod, like, you know, drinking. Um, totally. You, know, you, you knew chemicals. it. You nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> chemicals, exposure to toxins, ingested and environmental chemicals, even things as healthy as exercise can actually all increase free radicals and ramp up your body's need for glutathione. So not that exercise is bad, but you do need to then kind of moderate and help your body out as it is repairing itself. Okay. Last one is kind of a fun one. It's a little lightning round. Call out if you know any food that contains natural glutathione. Okay. Well, kale is my superfood. So that has to be one. Kale's the winner in every, like the kale's <laughs> always the answer. Whenever there's a question, the answer is kale. <laughs> okay. Want me to give you a couple others? Yes, please. Okay. Avocado, strawberry, spinach, pineapple, mango, blueberry. So lots of your, you know, healthy fruits and vegetables. Now, those are all on the anti-inflammatory diet. Right. Totally. So like you might be asking, or you might be wondering if you're listening to this at home, okay, great. If I can get glutathione from food, why do I need to take a supplement? All right. So to be really clear, especially as we age, it is very important to support our body with a superior glutathione supplement. It has to do with how it's processed and how it is fully registered in your body. And that is where Cetria glutathione comes in. So let me talk about why it's different. Just to be really clear, Cetria is the branded form of glutathione. So you can find it in lots of consumer products on the market. So supplement brands like Zaka, Intox Detox, and Brocco Glutathione, which I've actually been taking for like maybe four or five years now. Okay. I really like that one. We'll put a link directly to the Cetria Glutathione Where to Find page in our show notes. I'm also going to post about it on my Instagram so you can check it out. It's in a lot of consumer products. So Cetria Glutathione would be something you'd want to look for on the ingredients list, right? But basically, these products are usually geared towards immune support, respiratory health, beauty, or performance. So yeah, we basically give this one the official off the gram seal of approval for overall good health. Next week on the show, yeah, next week on the show, we're actually in for a treat. So we snagged an interview with Danielle Citrullo, doctor of pharmacy and technical services manager for Kiwa Hako. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's K-Y-O-W-A, new word, H-A-K-K-O. I always butcher it, but suffice it to say, they are the masters in antioxidant health. They are the company behind Cetria Glutathione, and she's going to give us the full 411 on antioxidants. So definitely tune in for that. In the meantime, go to our show notes and go to my post on Instagram, NYC FitBam, to find that where to buy link for products containing Cetria Glutathione because people are always asking me what supplements to take. And this one is just an overarching good idea, pure and simple. Okay, let's get back into the meat of today's show. Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for being with us here today again. Thank you. This is going to be fun. I was so sad to miss your first episode after we met at a Mama Galentine event right before the pandemic and asking you on. I know. Getting a second chance at life. We have to do this more regularly. Let's just do it more regularly. I fully agree. (laughs) That sounds amazing to me. Despite all of our giggles, uh, today's show is actually pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. And we are so appreciative of you sharing your medical knowledge and expertise here, because I think that it's important that we have more educated voices to drown out maybe some of the noise that's yes. not educated. Yes. So following the new Texas abortion law, 
you were actually the first person who gave me actionable steps rather than simply complaining about it and furthering my outrage. So thank you so much for that. (laughs) Before we get to those steps, Mm -hmm. I was hoping you could clarify a few things for us and for all of our listeners. So just to take it back to the root of the issue, can you... Dr. Phillips, listeners, we are listening to a doctor. (laughs) Please tell us when a woman is technically pregnant and how much time would she then have under this new Texas ruling to legally get an abortion? This is actually a really hard question to answer because any answer I give you that's outside of sort of science is emotional, it's political, and gets into all the difficulty that we have with discussing this issue of abortion. So I say, I tell people, you are technically pregnant when the embryo has implanted inside, in the uterus. Um, And Would that be like implantation bleeding, just to make layman's terms? Implantation. And not everyone gets implantation bleeding, but yes, the technical term is implantation. So this is a time when you don't actually even know you're pregnant. Most women, right? Because we haven't missed a period yet. It's before many women start having signs of pregnancy and... That's like the technical aspect of it. The emotional. Well, before we get to emotional, would you be able to test positive or pregnant at that point? Like, because Jamie and I are no strangers to the fertility process. So would the doctor even be able to test you positive or pregnant at the implantation? So it depends on how early you are. And it depends on if we're talking about urine versus a blood test. So if you're doing like fertility, for example, they're taking blood from you and we can get technically a positive pregnancy test very, very early where your HCG levels, that's the hormone that we're measuring, can be, you know, extremely low, like 10. And that would otherwise not even register on a urine pregnancy test. So technically, if you're going to the doctor, say, for example, you're doing fertility treatments, then yes, we can find a pregnancy super, super early, more so even before we even see it on an ultrasound, which is another layer of, you know, pregnancy and, and that process. So you can test for it. You can have levels. They're probably not going to show in your urine, but blood, you can get positive pregnancy levels after implantation. Now, does this mean like you're pregnant? Do we see anything on ultrasound most of the time? No, it takes time. But that's why this law is so troublesome because the average person isn't really paying attention to these things until they miss their period. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. So this is Heidi speaking for our listeners who can't see us. I actually got all of the same symptoms from my twin pregnancy, which I did work with fertility doctors for very soon thereafter. (laughs) And um, I did a pregnancy test and it came up negative. I mean, like I couldn't stomach coffee. I was nauseous. I couldn't do a soul cycle. I was so out of breath when it's like nothing for me on a good day, on a normal day. And the pregnancy test showed up negative. So I was like, I guess I have a bug or something. I don't know. 
And so I actually didn't know I was pregnant with James because I trusted that negative test result for nine to 11 weeks, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to get people like a frame of reference. Time it happens all the time. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of confusion, and and I think it's it's a confusing time for so many women, and even like as as like moms of multiple children, like Heidi and I were putting together this show, and there's still just so there's a lot of unknowns. There's different opinions. You hear different things, and it's a very confusing early time that mm-hmm. early pregnancy stage. So, I have a question. You know, I understand other states, including. Georgia, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Ohio have also passed heartbeat laws that ban abortion mm-hmm. once cardiac activity can be detected on an ultrasound scan. So that's right. that's my understanding, right? So those would, those would actually ban abortions at about six weeks of pregnancy, weeks. which is, yeah, 18 weeks earlier than the legal standard set by Roe v. Wade, that which allowed abortions up to 24 weeks. And that's roughly the point when a fetus can survive outside of the, the womb. So, right. so far those state laws have been held up by legal challenges and have not been implemented. But SCOTUS went back into session October 4th. So women's rights there are really also on the line. So with the legality of abortions hanging on heartbeats, can you clarify the difference between early cardiac activity on an ultrasound versus a true heartbeat? Like when does life technically begin? Is that an answerable question? So no, it, everyone's mm-hmm. going to have right. their different opinion as to when quote unquote life begins. And that, that question is very, you're going to get a thousand answers. My answer is in general, we see the beginnings of cardiac activity. Is it a heart like you and I know it? No, it is not. It's a collection of cells in an embryonic stage that will form eventually with time. Yes, a heart, but is that truly a heartbeat? It depends on who you ask. In my opinion, no, it is not. In my patient's opinion, who I am there to help make educated decisions, who I'm there to help make decisions that are best for her, it depends. You know, I do an ultra, someone comes in, I missed a pregnancy, I'm feeling this way. Um, we see this activity, and I re- I call it activity. I very rarely in the office ever call it a heartbeat. And I, there's an emotional connotation to those words. So I call it activity because if this is not a planned pregnancy, a wanted pregnancy, a pregnancy that resulted from assault, This is not great, happy information and calling it a heartbeat puts an emotional layer on it that I don't think women deserve. They don't deserve that extra baggage. And so I, you know, if they want to see, I let them see, but it's activity, right? And so if it's someone who has been trying for a year, is super excited, then fine, we'll call it a heartbeat because that pregnancy means something different to her than someone who comes in and is not wanting to be pregnant, didn't plan to be pregnant, and maybe has a different path for, you know, what's going to happen next. So that's a really hard question to ask because it's going to mean something different to each person as it applies to what next steps they're going to take. So I try not to use the word heartbeat. Even having that word in the law there's this emotional baggage that comes with it. Oh, you're stopping a heartbeat. 
you're killing, you know, it implies something that's very negative and punitive that a woman is doing when she's making this decision that's already fraught with emotion. So, you know, I try and use words like activity. I try not to use the word heart because it's really not a heart. It's in its embryonic stage. And yes, there is potential, but nothing is as we know it. I think people think that at six weeks, there is a perfectly formed like adult in there that just gets bigger with time. And that's not what it is. It's not what it is. It's a collection of cells that go on to form body systems, but I wouldn't call it a heartbeat because that just muddies the water of what we're talking about. We're still talking about cells, a collection of cells. That's a really knowledgeable way to put it. <laughs> I'm like very, just like, I'm like very non-emotional. Thank you yeah, for that. It, it, you know, if someone comes in and they're excited and like, you know, they've gone through this fertility journey and they use the word, then I use the word because that's what we want to do. But if I have a patient who's coming in and there's some ambivalence, there's fear, there's uh, a lack of decision, I don't want to color her opinion about what we're doing by using words that evoke emotions because I want her to make the best decision for herself without my input and my influence. That makes you like the best doctor ever. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So to get to another question that, you know, only an amazing doctor OB can answer, What are some of the most common reasons for a woman to get an abortion? And then there's a second part to this question, which is because, you know, they're called abortions or called termination. And then there's another term called a reduction Mm -hmm. for multiple Multiple. pregnancies. And so I'd be curious if a reduction would be allowed under this new Texas law or not. But so what are the common reasons for these procedures? Listen, abortions happen for every reason, every reason. And that's why this discussion is very trippy to me, because if you see a woman in any stage of her life, it's possible she's had an abortion. Like one in four women have had abortions. And so I did not know that one in four. It is extremely common and we don't talk about it. And so that contributes to the shame um, and the stigma associated with having one. But uh, I mean, abortions happen because your birth control failed. You were trying, (laughs) you know, you were trying to prevent pregnancy and your birth control failed. It happens. Pregnancies happen just in relationships where people have unprotected sex and really don't think that it could could happen. That's just human nature. We're sexual beings. We have sex. And based on our biology, women, people with the uterus, get that end of the stick. We bear the brunt of that relationship. I have people have abortions who, in this economy, They can't support their kids. They're struggling to support the kids that they have. So I have patients who, you know, may either be single and are having trouble supporting themselves, let alone a child. I have people who are in long-term relationships, perhaps married, 
who, you know, another child would really set them over the edge economically and not allow them to live in a manner that's comfortable for their family. You know, I have people who have abortions who were doing testing and it comes back with something that's not even necessarily fatal, but not compatible with a life that, in their opinion, is something that they want to deal with as, you know, the birthing person. So many reasons. I've had terminations because I've had brothers having sex with sisters. It really spans the gamut of reproductive potential. Everyone has abortions. Very religious women have abortions. Everyone. Any clinical reduction. Yeah, reduction. Yeah, reductions. So reductions, I've had a number of women have reductions. Last year, I had a woman who had twins and she was on her own and wanted to keep the pregnancy. And she's like, I but I, I can't do two. It was such a emotional situation and really in many ways, a very sad situation because it's not just about her making that decision, right? Which is impossible if you had to make that decision. But it's also about us living in a society where women are routinely underpaid, underemployed, undereducated, and not acknowledging that we don't live. And I'm not saying, you know, that we have to strive for this utopia, but like it really brings to light situations where women cannot afford to live their best lives, live whatever life they want to live because they don't have the economic resources to do it. They don't have the childcare to do it. They don't have the job security to do it. They don't have the support in their homes, their families, their community to do it. So heartbreaking. I have reductions that happen just because of that. Reductions also happen after 20 weeks, because that's when we start to do some of our anatomy scans. And we find, especially in multiples, that there can be significant structural issues from one twin to the next. And sometimes, say, something that's going on with twin A is severely impacting the entire pregnancy. So twin B, there can be developed. Just so people know when you're pregnant with twins, they're always labeled twin A and twin, twin B. And twin B. A is the one who's the closest to coming out first. Just wanted Look to. Yeah, twins. <laughs> you know this. You know this well. And this is one of the reasons that the restrictions on time are just absolutely so ridiculous because it's that 19 to 22 week ultrasound that sometimes for women, it's life changing. You know, you go thinking that you're having a routine ultrasound and you find that there are major structural issues with the heart. There are major structural issues with the brain. There are features that are evidence of a syndrome that now you have to figure out what that is. And so these are really emotional and private decisions that I think that people should be making on their own and not under any influence of laws or government who aren't responsible for raising these children and aren't responsible for providing the resources that these kids need. Antioxidant. 
It's a fancy buzzword, but what does it mean exactly? I mean, what do they do in your body? What do they support? Do we even need them? The answer is yes. They're important for fighting free radical damage, which ravages our cells and affects our immunity. So like, yep, we need them a lot. But here's the thing. Glutathione, a master antioxidant that supports the body's natural defense system, declines with age. So it's really important to take supplements and to take the absolute best. Cetria glutathione, produced by Kiwahako USA, can help to maintain overall good health by supporting healthy aging, immunity, and detoxification. You can find it in many consumer products on the market, supplement brands like Zaka, Intox Detox, and Brocco Glutathione. We've been taking these products here at Off The Gram, and we can genuinely say we feel proud and happy for adding this to our supplement repertoire. Hey, we're not getting any younger, so it's even more vital to eat healthier, drink more water, and supplement our routine with a product containing cetria glutathione. Want to learn more about this superior master antioxidant yourself, including where to get it? Head on over to cetriaglutathione.com to learn more. Check out the link in today's show notes. So I have kind of a two-parter question as well. I want to know, are abortion pills legal? And I want to know how they work. And then the follow-up to that is, while we're talking about what's legal and what's not, uh, where this country is going, what does an illegal abortion look like? Like we've heard the horror stories and in the movies when they talk about horrible things like hangers and this this just, you know, this is what you see, right? Is there truth to that? I mean, what does that look like for somebody who would have to go to that length? And also abortion pills. I'd love to know what is the 411 on that? So I think your first question is, are abortion pills legal? Mm -hmm. Are they legal and how do they work? Yeah, they're definitely legal. The Texas, I was about to say, like the legality and the availability really, really varies, really, really varies. There are a number of women's groups that online groups that are working to incorporate telemedicine and abortion services together so that we can increase the availability of medical abortion. Medical abortion usually consists of two pills. So one pill is called uh, Mifeprex, or uh, we also call it mifepristone. And it's basically a medicine that stops the progesterone receptor from working. It is like an anti-progesterone, basically. Then we use a medicine called misoprostol or Cytotec, which is a medicine that causes basically an evacuation of the pregnancy. So one to sort of stop the pregnancy from growing, and then the other one to evacuate. So that's that part. Your second part was? I'm curious because mm-hmm. people are going to be turning to all sorts of different things and, you know, it, it's not looking good. So what does an illegal abortion look like? What's the reality mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. I, in my career, and that's just because relative to the some of the people I work with, I'm a young doctor and I haven't seen a ton of illegal abortions. What I've seen are young women who are scared and don't know how to access abortion. So I get stuff like this one time I had someone put chicken in her vagina, like ground up chicken in her vagina and and blood from the package. 
And she stuffed it in her vagina and came to the hospital and was like, I need an abortion. I'm pregnant and this stuff is coming out of me. And in her mind, she thought that we would, you know, be like, oh my gosh, she's aborting. Let's just finish the process. I get that. I get people who like take a ton of birth control pills thinking that that will end a pregnancy. And so they come in very nauseous, stomach upset, very sick. That's what I see right now. Now, I trained in a place, Bellevue, which is a That's where I was at the ER. Yes, yes. Good old Bellevue. It's a really historical hospital in terms of its progressiveness and protection of women rights, especially in New York City. And so what I saw there in the clinics were women who who used hangers. That was that dark time where, you know, they would literally tell me about how they would go into back alleys in basements and, you know, people with no skill or medical knowledge of anatomy would insert hangers but they would tell me stories of their illegal abortions and women who lost their uterus. Like they'd come in and you're examining them and you're like, why do you have that big scar in your belly? And they would just like without fail, break down crying. Cause you know, I'm thinking I'm just asking about surgery that maybe they didn't put on their chart, but then they would tell me, you know, I had an abortion, a hanger, punctured my colon and I came to the hospital and they opened me up. They fixed my colon, but I lost my uterus. Mm. Those are the stories that I would hear, but I see other things now in attempts of desperation to seek medical help. I can't imagine what it would ever be like to already be in such a vulnerable position and have to turn your life and the safety of your body over to someone that was performing back alley abortions. You know, abortions are safe. Terminations are one of the most safe procedures I do. Like they are safe and people don't want to hear that or listen to it because I think that we have that like 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 2010s. 2010s. Yes. (laughs) Or 2020s, um, I mean. <laughs> current day of like women dying, women dying, women dying. And it's cemented in us this idea that terminations are not safe and they're extremely safe, both medical and surgical. And so if anything I get across is that we have to stop this idea that like women's health care as it relates to reproductive rights, fertility, including terminations is not safe. They're very safe. That's really good to know and such an important message to get out there. So one more thing before we wrap this up, because your time Mm -hmm. is very valuable. (laughs) Can you tell us in your professional opinion, because of, you know, what you've seen over the course of your career, who will the anti-abortion laws affect the most? Yeah. So without a doubt, anti-abortion laws affect marginalized people. And they are, and I'm going to answer this question very honestly, because I know you guys, I trust you guys as white women, that you'll understand why this is so important and the inequalities of our country and in medicine. 
But anti-abortion laws, hands down, affect marginalized people. And those are women of color who are already just trying to get by in this society where they're also underemployed, underpaid, undervalued, bearing the burden of family responsibilities. And also have a much greater risk giving birth, statistically. Listen, preach, preach. We did a whole episode with Latham Thomas about that. that Yes, absolutely. It affects poor women who hands down are in the same boat lacking access to contraception, education. And we know that additional children compound and prolong that generational poorness, that inability to get your family to the next level when you have more and more children to take care of, when you have a lack of control over your reproductive self so that you can, you know, have a job, go to school, get the training that you need. So poor women, it affects, you know, the non-binary too. Like we think of only heterosexual women when it comes to discussions about termination, but our non-binary lesbian sisters often have issues with their own reproductive selves. And so Already being a part of the medical establishment vexes them because medicine has not been good to trans, lesbian people. It affects everyone who's marginalized, you know, quote unquote, by definition. And the reason I bring this up is because I still see white women, even in places where abortion is not legal, maintain that access. And it's not it's not okay that there are places where women cannot get access to care, abortions, terminations, medical or surgical, but there's like this carve out for women of means, white women who decide that they don't want to have this pregnancy. They still have access, even in states counties where there is no otherwise abortion services. So that further creates this like, and I know other doctors, they see it too, but it creates this ongoing inequality in women where white women are still able to have access to things, healthcare that, you know, Latinas, African-American people, immigrant women, women with disabilities, et cetera, don't have access. I hope that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I just want to thank you so much for being so honest about that, because it's really important that we hear it, that all of our listeners hear it, that everybody hears it. Because I think that it's easy to be like, well, we're all women. Of course, like if I can get an abortion, she can get an abortion. Like if I, I just think when it comes to reproductive rights, it's easy to think that we're all in the same boat, but it's clear that we're not. Yeah, And that's, part of the really important fight that needs to be fought right now, quite frankly. So on that note, and circling back to one of the things I said at the top, of course, thank you so much, so much for all of your time and sharing your knowledge. And 
just wanted to ask you one more question that yeah. will easily double as our karma call, which you may remember from the first show, karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our incredible guests, you, what's an actionable item that our guests can take that would make a giant result. And so Dr. Phillips, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What are the actionable items that we can take to claw back a woman's right to choose and to level the playing fields. I know those are giant asks. Yeah. yeah. I know, but one small step in the right direction is still going in the right direction. So, yeah, you know, one thing, and this is for me, a huge ask for women who've had terminations, but I hope that women who've had terminations in their lives begin to talk about their terminations so that we can understand that the woman sitting next to you on the train, the woman across the board, your child's kindergarten teacher, your mother, your sister have all been in that place where they found themselves for whatever reason, it doesn't matter, pregnant and scared and needed help and someone to provide safe, effective terminations. My ask is that we really start to talk about terminations so that we can see that it's everywhere and it's everyone and everyone has a story that is just as important and critical as the next person's so that we start to see like, oh, this is a universal problem. My action item too, which is also an ask for people who own penises, (laughs) is to put some skin in the game. You know, put some skin in the game and start really thinking about who we vote for and use your vote in a way that supports the reproductive actions and potential of the people who you love and are in your circle because it takes two, right? But all of this unfairly falls on the shoulders of women. So that would be my ask of people as action items. But the other would be to really just educate yourself about the safety of this procedure, to really start to take the emotion out of it, because you never know when you'll find yourself in that similar position. And even if it's selfish, you want to protect the right for yourself. My action item would also be to learn more about it and the stories so that you can see that it's a basic healthcare right and issue. And to get to know organizations that you trust. I sent you a list earlier, but (laughs) organizations that you trust that you can donate money safely to help women continue their access, organizations that will advocate on local community, state, and national levels for safety for this procedure uh, for women and access to this procedure. That would be my other one. My other action item was even if it's something that's not right for you, don't interfere with what someone else is doing. You don't know their life. You don't know their story. So like mind your business and let women make independent personal decisions between themselves and their physician and stay out of it. If you don't feel like a termination is personally right for you, 
stay out of everybody else's business. Make your own independent decisions, but allow women who are dealing with this issue access to education, a safe space, and a healthy life without feeling like they have to resort to really desperate measures. Preach, girl. Those are beautiful calls to action. And I will make sure that that list is in the episode description too. So thank you for that. Thank you. Sometimes when I do these, I'm like, I think I'm making sense. I don't know if I'm actually making sense. You're 100% making sense to me. You're making more sense than most people talk in these days. So seriously, such a big thank you. And thank you for, for having this conversation. Look, I mean, like the more we can all talk about this, everyone's so scared to even talk right now about anything. And what we're doing on off the gram is just encouraging people to discuss issues and to get educated because there's a lot of loud noises, but not a lot of pointed, focused conversation and, and, and education and also personal account. You're on the front lines, girl. You are on the front lines of this. And this is who we need to be talking to. And thank you. I mean, thank you. And you know, doctors, we need to do better too, right? We need to, and I, I will always hold my colleagues and myself accountable. We need to do better too. We need to ask women about their terminations in a really non-judgmental way. We need to make sure that people who want birth control have access to it and continually check in to make sure that it's working for them. Because if you're not, if you don't have access to it, if you're having side effects, you're not going to take it. If it, you know, isn't arriving in your pharmacy on time, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So medical professionals have to do a better job too, making sure that we're fighting to maintain access, that we keep our personal opinions out of the office in that really intimate relationship of the the doctor-patient relationship. And we need to also encourage our patients who somehow feel like shame about past terminations to get counseling and move beyond that experience because it doesn't define us. It doesn't define us. And I think a lot of women are trapped in, you know, their 36 year old body or person who made a decision to terminate. That's not even an ounce of what you're about. And I feel like doctors also need to help women like move beyond this idea that there's shame behind making important life decisions for yourself. There's not, there's not. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, my friend, our friend, a friend of the show, thank one you. of our only people we've invited back for a second time. And we will hope you come back a million more times because you're always not only a wealth of knowledge, but like you're real girl. And I love talking to a doctor who's smart and on the front lines, but like you speak in a way that people understand. So I, I hope you know what a service you are doing by being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so I really much. Listen, I really love you guys. Anything I can mm-hmm. do for you, you know, I'm horrible, like a bad communicator. So just, we all are. just stick with we me. All are. <laughs> but um, if you need me for anything, I hope this helps someone. Um, it's going to help so be, many people. What do you yeah, mean? It's sure. not just going to help someone. It's going to okay. help a lot of women. Okay. And hopefully some of those with the penises too. <laughs> Listen, we they need to put some skin in the game. They really mm-hmm. do. I was talking to a patient today. I know we have to go, but 
she's like, I'm doing this. I, you know, I'm not compliant. I just, I don't like the way. And they have no plans to have children. And I was, she's like, can I try this or this? And I was like, why doesn't he get a vasectomy? And she looked at me like I had just given her a million dollars. Like, what? (laughs) Why are you doing all these things that clearly aren't working for you? Get a vasectomy. And she was just like, oh, (laughs) this light opened up. They need to put some skin in the game. Mm. Um, So, yeah, this is not a a one person show. Well, good. Well, good luck with that. But you know what? <laughs> a, a, a gal can dream. <laughs> a gal can dream. You can take all, all right. steps. <laughs> all right, girl. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye Dr. Camila Phillips has left the chat. Oh, man. That was big. I, I mean, it was, it's so important, though. And I'm so, I know I said it to Dr. Phillips, but I'm so, so, so thankful that she was willing to be so honest and come on and tell us all what's actually happening and what the reality of a lot of this stuff is. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate her scientific opinion, but what I really gravitated towards was just her ask to leave other people alone. And this is like, this could be helpful in so many cases of what we're all arguing about today. You can make a decision for yourself but that doesn't have to be the decision that you force on everyone else. So like, do you and then mind your business because you don't know other people's story. No, I totally agree. And the other thing that I loved so much was that like she, you know, and I will put it in the show, we'll put it in the show notes that she did send me a list of resources. And I feel like, you know, different things are happening every day with this Texas abortion law. I'm not sure if you saw something new happen today. Things are forever changing. So by the time this recording comes out, who knows what will have transpired. And I just think it's so important to just stop talking about it. I mean, talking about it's important. It's very important but not just to talk about it, to actually take actionable steps to donate to Planned Parenthood, or if you can't do that to do, but to do something that helps rather than just complain. And it's Can you believe important. this is where we are like in the world? I, I remember, you know, uh, it's eight, 10 years ago, just being like, wow, what a time to be alive when we're just becoming inclusive and celebrating all humans and women are moving forward and this is happening and gay people are allowed to just love and which is all they want to do and all of these. And then all of a sudden, and it's just, it's really, sometimes you got to stop and look around and be like, what the hell country am I living in? But the fight, I'm glad you said that Heidi, because the fight has to be fought. We are in such a dangerous time in our history right now. And history is writing itself in large letters and you're either part of the problem it's or part not of the her solution. story. Right. <laughs> very, very true. So exactly. look, I'm grateful that we came here today and put a stake in the ground. Obviously none of us have a problem using our voice, speaking up, sharing our opinion, but I know this is a divisive issue, but I will never not defend a woman's right to choose and to live and to have her freedoms and her liberties. And, uh, and I hope others out there got something from today and also feel, you know, inspired to fight and to, to make sure that, you know, even if it doesn't affect you personally, because yeah, what she said is true. You know, if you are a woman living in a certain eco like stratosphere and I'm already a mom and I'm probably not, abortion's probably not going to come up in my own life. 
But if you are not looking after your fellow woman and your fellow human, what are you doing? Great question. And on that note, thank you all for being a part of the conversation today. It's an important one. And thank you for tuning in. As always, we love you. We hope you subscribe to the show wherever podcasts can be consumed. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. We'll see you next time.